The thoughts and opinions on Just Some podcast are of the hosts and guests and they do not represent the views of the organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. You're listening to Just Some Podcasts, and here's your hosts, Ben and Tom. And thank you, Ben, for that deliciously cheesy intro music, and your melodious voice was just on point. Well, you know, it is episode two, so I figured it's time for some intro music. We had to, we had to step up that game. So, uh, how you been? I have been well, uh, actually better than I have been the past couple days. Caught my own stomach virus I've been diagnosing people with, and it has been a very pleasant experience, but glad to let everybody know that I'm doing better now. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we've got to talk about your trip to Mecca, (laughs) the the (laughs) Ohio State University. Yes, though I have been a lifelong Buckeye fan, I have never actually been able to attend a game. My father has always been in the military, and I met my wife and lived far away, and finally moved back to Ohio and was able to get all the tickets. Me and my wife were able to uh, partake in the event and had a great time. So I hope to make it a uh, once or twice a year pilgrimage for all Buckeye fans. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think I know how you feel. I mean, I, uh, of course, I'm a diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. and I won't uh, hold that against you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, I can remember the first time walking into Texas Stadium, the you know the original Texas Stadium, and just kind of standing there in awe of the size and all the amazingness that it was. Yeah, when, when you see it and, and you live it, then you actually get to feel it. It, it brought a... Um, I mean, not a not a literal tear to my eye, but when you're in the stadium and the band, while I, I, I really, really like pro football, uh, I'm a college football person at heart, and when you hear that band and those snare drums and they're running, you know, they're marching onto the field and they play that hype video and they're like, it's, you know, it's us against the world and there's somebody's, yeah, oh, like I, I could have like, give me a helmet, coach. I'm ready to get off the field. And, uh, of course, at my age, I would have blown an ACL just running down the stairs fast. But, you know, you got to dream. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a great experience. And um, someday I hope maybe to partake a uh, Cowboys game. Um, I, I don't know if I, it'll feel quite the same giving Jerry Jones $12 for nachos for me. But, you know, it, it'll still be a good time for all. So let's uh, let's get into this episode. Yes. Episode two. Yeah, some people thought we wouldn't make it this far, so. I think including us sometimes. <laughs> That's definitely true. So this episode, our main topic that we're going to talk about a little bit later is going to be contracts, and particularly from the nurse practitioner PA standpoint. Um, but before we get into that, we kind of left some things out of last week's episode. Not so much the diet. I mean, there's we could do hours and hours on on diets, but. More the background of us and why we're doing this and... Yeah, just the general direction of what we want to do with the show, I guess. And some of the things that, you know, Ben and I have spoke about is 
I think it's important for for people to know that one we we want to hear from everybody. Um, the show is for everybody. We are just focusing on the advanced practice practitioners, uh, nurse practitioners, and PAs, and trying to educate ourselves and trying to keep the pulse because what may be important in Florida isn't as important in you know Nebraska so perhaps we're trying to give this opportunity this forum for us all to stay together on one one sheet of music right and I will say you know that we're while we are nurse practitioners I mean we're certainly not experts in every topic that we're going to talk about I mean I think some of it is we're we're trying to do some of the research that sometimes as busy providers we don't always get the opportunity to do and so you know we're kind of wanting to go out and do some of that and then bring it to you in a relatively quick forum and and one of the other things that i think is important for us to just set as a guideline at the beginning of the show is we are doing this our own time our own money our own equipment and we're doing this because we feel it's an important aspect it's it's something we always bitch and complain to each other ben and i and to each other i know you do at work and i'm talking to you the listener because we all do it and we bitch about stuff and then most of us never actually do anything well ben and i have decided hey if we're going to actually talk about all these topics and do all this stuff why don't we actually get it out there let's start putting some information out there and give us a voice and that's kind of what we're going for certainly we're not the only um podcast out in the uh, land no actually uh, there's a fairly popular podcast from at np dude he actually reached out to me over the weekend because uh, he heard that we were starting a podcast and had some very positive words and some encouragement along the way which i think is certainly helpful so give his podcast definitely a listen yeah i've uh listened to his show myself as a matter of fact, I think that's one of the first shows I was like, hey, this is going on. Like, we could do this. Like, you know, there are shows like like what we're talking about, and we uh, we want to get that going. And there are there's a whole plethora of them out there. Some of them are not as specific for advanced practitioners, which is why Ben and I have chose to do this. But there are certainly other great ones, like EM Over Easy, which is a great group of uh, emergency medicine physicians that are putting out a show as well as the curbsiders which is an internal medicine show etc you could find just about anything you want but we're trying to do a show that hits the highlights hopefully is enjoyable it's not like we're reading powerpoints to you guys i mean we could but we're choosing not to we could but that would probably be even worse <laughs> than anything i can imagine that may be worse than board prep definitely worse than board prep so i just wanted to make sure it was important while i completely 100 percent want to hear from everybody email us get on any of our social media sites twitter instagram what am i leaving out ben so we have facebook twitter instagram all at just some podcast and of course we have our website www.justsomepodcast.com and our email is admin at justsomepodcast.com so definitely Reach out to us. Join the conversation. You know, I've had several people reach out to me already uh, about some topics that I think we're going to work into some future episodes, uh, some staffing issues and such that I think we need to 
definitely address. So join the conversation. And like I said, just remember that these are two guys doing this on their own, and we're communicating from approximately you know a third of the uh, continent away from each other. There's lots of obstacles we had to figure out how to overcome just to get to this point. So please, not that we're not you know self-critical or not waiting to hear some how what the people listening want us to do or do better but just keep those facts in mind when you write into us yeah this is not a national show yet uh, you know we don't have a whole lot of sponsorships so, i mean i'm certainly willing to take people's money if they want to give it to us to sponsor things um i was willing to take their money previous to this so at that if that's if you're willing to just send people money feel free to contact us and i will give you my personal information so <laughs> enough about that tom let's uh let's go into stories that you may have missed and this one actually i don't think many people have probably missed it because it's tearing up facebook and twitter right now this is from plano texas this is a uh, male physician who i'm trying to get his name here gary teagues he's a plano internal medicine associates kind of under some fire right now for one of his uh, comments in regards to pay i Uh, wonder why his comment that was printed was yes there's a pay gap between female physicians and male physicians since female physicians do not work as hard and do not see as many patients as male physicians this is because they choose to or they simply don't want to be rushed or they don't want to work the long hours most of the time their priority is something else family social whatever Nothing needs to be done about this unless female physicians actually want to work harder and put in the hours. If not, they should get paid less. That is fair. Tom, what's your take on that? So there's times in life where you run into a verbal minefield, and I am sure no matter what I say at this point, it is going to be the absolute devil to trying to explain it in a coherent method that everyone will be happy with. So I will go with this. Most of my colleagues, actually all of my colleagues currently are female. Um, Almost all my preceptors are female. And I will say as far as I can tell in healthcare, in particular the advanced practitioner world, women are every bit as capable and hardworking as any males I have met. Except for myself, I'm the hardest working person I've ever seen, but everybody else... James Brown of Nurse Practitioners, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Rocking in the USA right here. But I I cannot honestly, honestly, let's just break this down. How can you say anything like that in today's world and not expect a backlash? It doesn't matter. Well, his his response, uh, he's quoted as saying, my response sounds terrible and horrible and doesn't reflect what I was trying to say. I'm not saying that female physicians should be paid less, just that they earn less because of other factors. He then went on to kind of state that he was actually responding to an email uh, that he didn't realize was going to be out for publication. Well, when you dig a hole that big, it's awfully hard to, to backpedal and fill it in. And I think that also just kind of goes back to say, you know, you got to be careful what you put out there. You know, whether you're responding to an email and you don't think that it's going to be out into print, you just never know what's going to happen. Well, first of all, you have to assume anytime you are putting your name on anything, 
that is not to a person in a private setting. Like, if I'm using my work email or my work phone for anything, my automatic assumption is it is open to the public. And that is a good tip for anyone right now listening. If you do not think that your work email or anything else that you do in a work capacity is not uh, available for subpoena or publication, then you are incorrect. So keep that in mind. And, uh, you know, I'd also throw out there for all the students out there, you might want to be careful what you put on social media in regards to your school in particular. Right, Tom? Okay, so we're going way back in the time machine for this one. I won't get into details in this day. Maybe we'll have a uh, vodka episode where we just let every flag fly. I don't know. But what I will say is when you end up in the dean's office of your fine, fine nursing institution and learning uh, facility, uh, she is just an angel of people. And and she was. (laughs) All joking aside, she she was. But, uh, yeah, do not let a second of anger create a weeks of headache if you understand what i'm saying so it is best to keep a level head you you are professionals in the office remember that what you put out on the internet is going to reflect on you as well yeah i'm sorry to throw you into the bus like that tom but uh you know it needed to be said that, that bus has ran over and backed up many a time my friend so it's uh it's okay well do you have anything else to add about the physician in plano if somebody asks you a question and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is a really dangerous question, then treat it like such. You wouldn't have a patient come in and say, hey, I just came from the Ivory Coast of Africa and I'm bleeding from every orifice and I've got diarrhea and go, nah, he's got the flu and we don't let him leave the office. You got to treat that question the way you treat it when you know what it is. So that's my suggestion. And in today's world, you have got to be political and social media savvy because people are watching. That's true. And, you know, you kind of mentioned the patient coming in from the Ivory Coast. But, you know, the other thing that, that just kind of jogs something in my brain, sometimes you do have patients who come in who've seen another provider previous to seeing you, and uh, they want to see if you'll talk shit on the other provider. You know, well, you know, I've seen so-and-so, a few days ago and they didn't tell me I had this and they didn't even listen to me well it's knee pain but yeah <laughs> well and so you know the uh the, the best way out of that is to say well you know I, I can only speak for what I'm seeing today and for what I'm assessing I can't speak for what they saw or did that particular day so in general people when you know you're walking into something or it doesn't feel right then trust your gut it is not right that's how I answer those questions, Ben. I agree with you, Tom. Let's get into our main topic tonight. You know, I don't, I don't think this one's probably going to be as long as an episode as our first episode because there's not a lot of evidence based in this. But this is kind of contract negotiations. And this is also one of the few episodes where, one, there are so many parts of the spectrum, unlike diets where you can actually put it, this diet does this and this diet does that. When you're talking about contract negotiations, there are people, I, in my current employment, did not even have to deal with this process in a thorough sense that some other people that maybe work in a private practice, you know, they had to go through every step and, you know, negotiate different things. So 
there there are many many levels to this so this is kind of a this is our first i guess shout out episode you know when we we started flying the flag and saying hey we're going to start a show what do you guys be going to hear about this was pretty much one of the main topics that people said they wanted to hear about yeah and i think a lot of students i mean this is definitely i mean i can remember back to when i was in nurse practitioner school we had a 45 minute class on contract negotiations and you know my my school did not require that so and maybe that's a future episode of you know what type of national standard maybe we should have an education and should something like that be part of the conversation but not every school requires that and some of us are you know we find facilities that don't require lengthy contract negotiations and some of you guys are going to walk into hornet's nest so that's what we're here to try and answer some questions about tonight and i have you know i've had the opportunity to uh, negotiate several contracts over the years i know that you've you've had uh, at least one right tom uh the my one current one yes i have had many jobs in my life but I've never had to really do much negotiations, so that is not something I've had to worry about and I think, until you know, recently. And I think uh, nurses in general are not, this isn't something that we do. You get out of nursing school, and we're talking RN, you get out and you take your boards, and you get your RN job, or you get your RN license, and you go and apply, and they tell you, hey, we got a job for you, here's the hours, here's the pay, and you say, okay. Uh, you know, there's really not much negotiation to it. Exactly. Um, and I, I I think it's beyond that. I, I think if you are 18, you go to college, you get your you know degree, your license, you go to a job. Okay, so that's your very first job. Or if you're like me and you worked outside of nursing, guess what? Many jobs outside of nursing are the same way. So my entire life coming up to this point was the exact same method. The entire thought process of and of course there was always minor negotiations you know salary you can you know wiggle a little this way wiggle a little that way first time you come into this and they're like okay so what do you want for ceus and what do you want for this and what do you want for that suddenly it becomes a whole new ball game and i think i think the best thing to do is to lay out some tips and i think the very first base understanding is one know your market because St. Louis is not going to be the same as Seattle, Washington, and it's not going to be the same as Clear Lake, Florida, and it's not going to be the same as Lincoln, Nebraska. So know your market. Absolutely. No, that's the hugest first step. I mean, before you go into a contract negotiation, you know, you need to know what the average is. Because if you go into an organization and they have already employee practitioners, those practitioners are probably not going to give you specifics of contracts. I mean, I personally don't talk to other practitioners that I work with about the specifics of my contract, and likewise, I wouldn't expect them to talk to me about it. But, uh, you know, there are websites that are dedicated to telling you kind of the general average. And like Tom said, you know, uh, St. Louis and San Francisco are going to be two entirely different markets. Well, and then you also have to rely on where you're at. If you are working for some mega system, they may have a dedicated or pre-established contract. This is what we pay nurse practitioners for in-office, for inpatient settings, etc. Versus the physician-run group clinic, you know, that is not affiliated with anyone. They may have a completely different process. So again, know know your your aim points. And so you know what I did personally. 
uh, before I negotiated my first nurse practitioner contract because it was kind of a scary deal to you know. I mean, you're you're agreeing to lots of stuff and you're trying to figure out what you need to do and where you need to be and things of that nature. So lots of stuff. You know, one of the first things that I really did, honestly, was bought my wife a new car before I got the contract because that gave me the opportunity to kind of have that negotiation and to hone that skill. You know, and so I sent emails out to five or six car dealerships in this area. Hey, here's what I'm looking for. What can you do for me? And then kind of started playing them against each other and negotiated a pretty good deal for the car, which kind of gave me the confidence to go into a contract negotiation for work. And while I think that was a great way to sharpen your skills, you realize you just said you bought a car before you had a contract. Well, to, to be fair, I uh, may have been accused in the in the past of being a little overzealous. I had uh, started job interviews the October before I would graduate in August. I started contract negotiations in January and signed a contract in March for an August graduation date. So I already knew where I was going prior to to doing that. Well, you know, and if you're in that type of situation, and, and I think this would be an important part as on the market is urban versus rural, especially if you're a nurse going to nurse practitioner. I, I'm not sure how PAs look at it or what they tell you guys, but there is a distinct inverse proportion in pay for providers and nurses in both those areas. And you'll find in the city and urban settings, providers are not going to make as much and the nurses are going to make way more versus if you go to a rural setting. You go to a rural setting, providers become an even more premier position and they need those guys even more because of a couple things. One, it brings in revenue and two, they have a harder time getting providers to come out to those areas. So nursing pay goes down, but provider pay will go up. So know where you're going and knowing and know what you're what you're willing to do. I guess the the next step after knowing your market is limits. Know your limits. And in particular, you need to know your walk away point. You need to know this is you know. If let's talk just plain salary. If I need X amount of dollars, and I know that that is my walk away point. That is the point that if you cannot come up to that or you cannot give that to me. I'm willing to get up from the table and walk away. And sometimes you have to do that. Which which is honestly a scary prospect for anybody in any situation. However, knowing your worth and knowing what the market value is helps you set that point. When you have done your homework and you know the other NPs in that area are making X amount of dollars, when you walk into that negotiation, that also helps give you a feel for the value of yourself to that organization because if they're going it's one thing for them to go oh we'll give you 5k less than the market value okay you can work with that but if they're like hey um every nurse practitioner in this area is make a hundred thousand dollars but we want to start you at 70 you may have problems that's very true and you know and you're talking about know your worth that's one of the things i stress to all the students that i precept is i explain to them you need to understand that once you transition from a nurse to a provider, you go from being a line item on a budget to a revenue generator. And just on that sole basis, 
you it gives you a bigger bargaining chip. And honestly, that was I distinctly remember that verbatim was Ben's advice to me going into this was you are no longer a line item. You know, you are someone that is making the money. Uh, a lot of responsibility comes with that, but knowing that going into any contract negotiation is like he said, a huge chip in your chip pile. So know your limits on salary and something that we have not always had to discuss previous to becoming medical providers, but there are other limits. Uh, we are responsible for lots of stuff, maintaining education, etc. And so look at what packages or what incentives they offer and know what your limits are on that. And you also need to remember, you know, that you don't want to, nobody goes into this job to hurt anybody by any means. And so one of the things that you need to know from the entity that you're negotiating with is, is what are the expectations as far as do they expect me to see five minute sick visits? Do they expect me to see 45 patients a day? What is the expectation upon you prior to accepting that position? Yes, a great, a great thing to hammer out in the beginning especially if you are a brand new nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, is you have got to understand the parameters they are expecting you to operate in. And um, I am—I would never dog any administrator. I have been in administration myself. I understand it is a terribly difficult position to be in. But if you are seeing 20 people and they budgeted for 30, they are going to try and push you for 30. So you need to understand what your parameters are and have those set from the time you take the job to when you're signing the contract, etc. You've got to know all your limits, parameters, whatever you want to call it. You've got to understand the box that you're going to be working in physically and mentally and then be able to go forward from there. And one of the ways that you know, kind of, again, kind of give you a bigger bargaining chip to an extent, especially being a brand new nurse practitioner, is if you set the understanding that, yes, I'm new, so I may need 30-minute appointments to begin with, but, you know, I do understand that I, you know, I am going to get better and get faster with what I'm doing as I go, and so, you know, I'm at some point, two or three months down the road, I would consider going into 15-minute appointments or whatever the case may be, so that, you know, it's a give and take to an extent. Well, and so here's uh, something else to keep in mind is as we are diversifying as a profession, some of the positions we are taking are diversifying as well. A huge, huge population of nurse practitioners or PAs are in, like, walk-in clinics or the CVS, the chain has the minute clinics, uh, etc. We are filling a lot of those. So what do they expect? You know, do they expect you to see so many people a day? Do they have some kind of uh, system for if you're only seeing 15 a day or if you don't have anything set up from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m.? You know, you need to know what their expectations of you are. Because since you are making the money and they're going to pay you, you know, a decent amount of coin for your work, they're going to expect something from it. That is that is ultimately what you're going to have to remember is, yeah, they're going to pay you handsomely. You know, they're going to give you that new company phone. They're going to give you your own laptop. And, oh, man, it's so great. Guess what? They expect you to use it. So, you know, it's uh, it's important to keep all that in mind while you're getting it. And at first it seems like so awesome. Like, oh, my God, I got it. They gave me a phone. Guess what? 
that is more a leash than it is a, a gift. So you're saying if they give you a phone, they, they expect you to answer it? Yeah, if you keep it charged. I mean, there's always that. So it, it's just one of those things that it's important, and I would feel remiss if I did not bring it up because I think that is one of those things that's overlooked. We spend so much time educating these students, and, you know, I was a student not that long ago. Uh, we kind of overlook some of the stuff that's just as important as understanding diagnosis and treatment plan we forget to teach them or ourselves because if this is your first job and you're listening to this and you're looking for a second job you need to know this as well you know nobody nobody has told us there is no game plan in general for this and the other thing that you need to be aware of and i think this is just in general and not necessarily has to do with the market because a lot of it's based on like medicare reimbursement is you have to understand the amount that you could potentially bring into this organization whether it's a private practice hospital owned or you know the the major medical conglomerate you know just on average at like a 992 and 3 office visit which we'll get in we'll, we will do a billing episode and that will you know for those who don't know what a 99213 is we'll you know, I'm sure we'll hammer that down at some point <laughs> but you know let's say that's a $100 visit prior to insurance write-offs and things of that nature you do 20 of those a day five days a week 50 weeks a year you know two weeks vacation uh, you know that's you're looking at a half a million dollars prior to any insurance write-offs and things of that nature so you know you need to understand the amount that you know that what you're doing the amount of income that you're generating so again that that all funnels back into what we're what we're trying to get across here is you have value now and it is important for you to know what your value is, but be realistic. If you are going on these forums and people are like, well, I make $120,000, that is great. That is fantastic. Uh, salary.com is telling me I should make 110000 Yeah, well, if you're a brand, that might be the average, which means there's a couple people that are making 120000 but there's also a couple people making ninety, okay, or a hundred. You have got to know your skill set, your experience, your market value. All these things are factors in what you're going into. So be realistic when you're walking into it. That doesn't mean I want you to undershoot, but I really don't want anyone coming away from this going, well, Ben and Tom said I should ask for way more. No, Ben and Tom are saying you should know what you're worth and ask for it. And, you know, the other thing you have to take into consideration benefit-wise, I mean, health insurance... I mean, it's vital nowadays. You have to have health insurance. Oh, my goodness, yes. Vacation, uh, your sick leave. CEU. And, you know, what you want to know about that is what can you use that for? Is that just purely for travel? Uh, is that for licensing? Yeah, etc. Because, like, my, mine personally, we can use it for CEUs and for travel, but I can also use it to renew my DEA license or my, my nurse practitioner license. And... Not to make anybody sound like a boogeyman, most, at least as far as I can tell, systems uh, or larger entities like hospitals in general, that is how they will set it up or how they will cover it. However, you're going to have to know that information. You know, uh, the devil is in the details when it comes to that contract. Because remember, when you sign it, you are now entering a binding agreement. Those benefits are things that you certainly need to take into consideration you know if you are getting a lower salary than what you think that you may deserve some of that may be tied into 
some of the benefits that you're not really necessarily thinking of. True. And also, I, I guess one of the important things for me, for some of the newer people that are coming into the profession, one of the things that is often overlooked is they see the dollar signs. And don't get me wrong. Everybody that does this is aware that it is more lucrative and that is part of the, the motivation. I don't care what they say. It's part of the motivation that they get into being a nurse practitioner. And, and that's fine. If you're willing to put in the work and the time, you deserve the payback. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that if you are in a job that is not making as much as you want, or if it's your first job and it's not as high as you thought it should be, your first job doesn't have to be your last job. You can always, always do your best job so that you can put down in your CV, you know, look what I've done and accomplished. And guess what? Maybe your next job, you're able to negotiate that higher salary. Very true. You know, one of the other things I want to just touch on briefly uh, you know, as we're still kind of talking about the money situation, would be bonuses. From a contract negotiation standpoint, you need to understand, A, do they offer them? And if not, then maybe that's why the salary is higher. B, if they do offer them, what types? I mean, there are certain, there, there are lots of different types. There's percentage-based as far as, like, profit sharing. Uh, there's RVUs, which is revenue value units, which I'm sure we'll do an episode on at some point. Mmm, um, billing. Yeah. There's, uh... Also, like productivity, other than RVUs, like, you know, I've, I've heard of providers that are getting paid X number of dollars per patient they see uh, as far as a bonus. So you need to kind of understand that going into it, too. And some of that can get pretty hairy, particularly when you start getting into, like, RVU calculations and how they do that and what that's truly going to mean as far as for you and for the organization. So, again, homework, details and knowing your your parameters and limitations are all going to be the biggest factors. And, and I know that sounds so simple, and yet the number one thing we've heard so far that they wanted, that people, multiple people, people with far more experience than I have and some people with less, all want to know the same thing. What do I need to know about contracts? Obviously, this, this is something that's going over. I think one of the biggest things and one of the bigger differences is also what type of nurse practitioner or advanced practitioner are you? If you're in acute care and you're in an in-hospital setting, you're going to have a way different discussion than Ben and I are going to have as family nurse practitioners. And so that may be, you know, are you on call? Are you not on call? Um, are you, and so some of that goes into it, or are you having to round on inpatients versus not rounding on inpatients? Uh, yeah, I uh, I know some systems have like set at least salary ranges for their advanced practitioners, and you know some people, some colleagues of mine were like, "Well, hey, I heard they they start at much something much higher." No, if you are willing to, if you chose to work like we'll say family practice, the benefits of family practice and your work environment are completely different than our brothers and sisters in in acute care or in hospital settings. So yeah, there might be a difference in pay, but at the same time, Christmas Eve when you're at home because you chose family practice, guess what? They're in the hospital seeing patients. So there is a difference in benefits, a difference in pay, and usually it's for a reason. So don't always just see black and white dollar signs. There's generally a reason why there is a discrepancy or a difference. And you know, for me personally, I, I kind of took a gamble on myself uh, when I signed my first contract, I took a lower base salary uh, with the understanding that there were the chance for bonuses along the way. 
but I took a lower base salary to kind of prove myself and to show the organization that, hey, I can do this and I can, you know, I, I can build a patient base. So going into that, you know, and we touched on it a little earlier, I guess it's time to go back to it a little bit, is the number one fundamental advice I was told is your first couple of years as a nurse practitioner or a PA, you have new person stink on you, is what I was told. <laughs> that, that's literally the quote, quote stink, you got new person stink. And you are going to have to, one, show that you can do the job and get through a year or two minimum or your first contract, whatever it may be, get through that and show people that you are able to do the work. And guess what? You have now earned yourself a nice big or a nice bigger bargaining chip. You know, we've all done work to get to this point, uh, assuming you're an advanced practitioner. You know, I, again, we're going to have listeners from all around, but focusing on the advanced practitioners, we've all done a fair amount of work to get here. You have essentially bought a seat at the table. You have not, you know, finished the game. So don't forget that when you're doing negotiations. Well, Tom, I think there's only one other thing that I really want to touch on as far as contracts. Do you have anything else you want to add before I jump into my, my final aspect of it? No. Like I said, I, I think you said it. Uh, you said it to me personally, you know, when I was doing my first contract negotiation. Is I think that's the ringing words that need to be in your ears know your limit like know your walk away points know what you're willing to fight for or if they give you four out of the five things you're looking for how important is four out of five versus that fifth it's time to really you know use a big boy big girl vision when you're looking at these contracts and lastly don't say women make less than men and they deserve it. That would be the last thing I would say uh, for contract negotiations. This, so. so we should not use that as a marketing <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. No, yes. Note to self. Yes. Wise physician once told me, don't say that. So there you go. <laughs> so, you know, the last thing I want to touch on as far as contract negotiations, and it's one that is becoming more prevalent over the last few years. And that's because organizations are seeing the nurse practitioners and, and advanced practitioners are able to generate patient bases that do follow us and we're not just seeing overflow per se and that is the dreaded no compete clause mm, dum, dum, dum. so for those who are not aware maybe you're still in school and you're not aware what a no compete clause is basically that says that if the contract ends you will not perform your advanced practitionering I don't I just made up a word that I don't think that's a word Ben I'm not a math major either, so you know. <laughs> but basically, the no compete is saying that you will not uh, be a nurse practitioner or an advanced practitioner in X number of miles from that entity for a standard amount of time. You know, it may be, hey, you can't do this job for a 60 mile radius for a year. And what that is, is the organization protecting itself. You know, it, what it doesn't want you to do is if Hospital A and Hospital B are set up right across the street from each other, they don't want you to build a nice patient base and then tell them, yeah, you know what, I can go make money, more money over here and all my patients are going to follow me. It's a protection on their part. Unfortunately, like I said, it's becoming more standard now. I have a no-compete clause. I think Tom... I I, I also have a no-compete clause. Mine is written a little different. Mine is actually by county. 
instead of mileage. So that was one of the big things, honestly, and that became one of my my points of contention is because I, you know, like most people, well, like some people at least, have a commute. I have a, I have a decent commute to work. So I made sure in my contract that the clause did not affect where I perceived future employment heading towards. And I made sure that that was in it. And, you know, the way that I, there was no getting out of the no-compete clause. Like, I mean, it was just, this is going to be there, that's how, it, that's how it is. And, you know, one of the ways that you can kind of combat that is, the way mine is written is if the entity, if, well, let me take that back, if I end the contract the no-compete clause is valid. If the entity, for whatever reason, chooses to end the contract, then the no-compete clause is null and void. And, and so there are caveats like that. And again, um, it may not hurt if you are not technical language savvy to have a attorney look at it because it'll generally say something like if the signee or whatever language they use in their contract uh, does not uh, fulfill blah 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 it'll be under section and then also it'll start listing a bunch of numbers so now you have to know which sections are going to make that contract you know null and void or I shouldn't say that contract that clause null and void and so that's when it starts getting real messy real quick I think uh, you know you, you really hit on a good point there that we hadn't mentioned but it may cost you a couple hundred dollars but it's certainly, particularly if it's your first contract with a new organization, spend the couple hundred dollars to get a contract attorney to review that, see if there's any red flags that stand out to them. That's what they do for a living. I mean, that would be like people bringing their, their kids to you when you're sick. Um, that's what we do for a living. That's what they do for a living. That's what they're good at. So spend the money and have someone check that out. And also a point from a other podcast, NP Dude, that we were just talking about earlier was you could take it to a contract lawyer, but you also need to make sure that they are familiar with your field. Like, you could take your contract to any attorney, and he can be like, yeah, it's great, and it could be total horseshit. So you have got to know that you should have some confidence that the person looking at it, talk to them. Have you ever dealt with a hospital before? Have you ever dealt with a contract for health care? Uh, I'm not saying that they absolutely have to have it, but they should at least be able to tell you the information or they should be honest enough to go look i think this is good you know you might want to know about this or that etc know who you're dealing with because it, it is a very complicated legal mess and here's i guess i guess i should have said this earlier when you said do i have any final thing uh remember the hospital while they may like you and they may say all these great things the hospital will protect itself before it's going to protect you all right so that, that contract is going to be set up in a way that if you do something bad, they are not going to protect you out of the kindness of their heart. So if I get arrested for running naked down the street drunk, then that could be bad for my contract? It, well, you know, honestly, it could be. I'm sure there are some city uh, hospitals uh, or rural, if you go far enough rural, that they'll be like, uh, we don't care. Just don't get arrested. <laughs> I do think that there are several contracts out there that do have like morality clauses that basically say that if you you know violate you know an, an act of moral morality that they can terminate the contract. Out of that moral morality, that's the worst kind. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, 
be, but you need to know those things because again, we touched on a little earlier. What do you put on social media? There was that teacher just a couple years ago. She put a picture of herself smoking weed in the parking lot on her, you know, whatever social media site she had, and she couldn't understand how she got fired. Was it was it not California? I don't think it was California, actually. So, and I guarantee you, wherever it was, it wasn't legal. But even though it was, if they have a morality contract or they have a morality clause, I should say, in their contract, then she is as uh, guilty as as anything else. So, knowing things like, first of all, what is your profession? You know, and I mean, like, are you family? Are you acute? Are you a pediatric nurse practitioner? Women's health, etc. Know your market. Know your limitations. Uh, know your pay. Uh, you know, been hit on that before because that's not something I've had to deal with specifically so far. Is stuff like RVUs. You know, uh, how do they calculate it? And your clauses. That no compete clause can really come back to bite you. Even though I've heard some attorneys, and perhaps that would be touched on again someday in a in a future podcast. You know, it's been described as legally dubious. I've heard other people say like I they don't think that they're totally enforceable, but here's the deal. That hospital has got a lot more money than you probably do, and fighting things in court can get real expensive. And they probably have more attorneys also. <laughs> in general, in general, I always imagine, like, if I had to go to court against a hospital, it'd be, like, Homer versus Mr. Burns on The Simpsons, and he's just got, like, Excellent. an entire 12-man legal team. Yeah, they're just sitting over there like, didn't you do this, Homer? And you're just going to be like, duh, yeah. And then dogs bite you. So, I mean, it's just it's just not a situation that you want to be in. And having been in former law enforcement and testified in court and done all stuff in front of a jury, depositions, etc. If you don't have to be there or do it, trust me, you don't want to. The only people that win are the lawyers, so... Well, Tom, let's put a wrap up on this episode here. Uh, I, you know, I think the biggest thing that I don't know if we answered questions that people had, and if not, you know, certainly join the conversation and, and hit us up on our social media or our uh, website. But you know, the, the biggest takeaway that I have from what we just talked about is, like you said earlier, the devil's in the details, and you got to know the details before you sit down while you're negotiating before you sign, and then what the recommendations and expectations are after you sign. So if we did answer it and you liked the show, great. If you didn't or you want to hear more or as, uh, go into further detail on the subject matter at hand, we can always do a quick, you know, we can always add a section to the show at the end of the show where we go, hey, you know, last week we covered contracts and we didn't get all the stuff and two people wrote emails about this, we can always address that. So please, just some podcasts. We have multiple social media sites that I'm sure Ben would love to cover again. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Just Some Podcast. And you can also find us on the web at www.justsomepodcast.com. And did you hear that? He sounded like that guy off the, the Price is Right for just a minute there. I heard it. He's were practicing. Tom, come on down. I would straight have one of those shirts that's like, I'm with dummy, and it points to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, but, uh, let's, uh, let's put a wrap on it, and uh, 
see what we're going to... I don't know that we have a episode set up for next week yet, as far as what we're going to do, but rest assured we will... Yeah, we will put something out, uh, even if you don't tell us, because we like talking. Well, that, and there's maybe, you know, tens of people out there that want to listen to us. Whole ones or tens of people? My mom has a Twitter? Is that what you're saying? I'm going to leave that one alone. Because I guarantee you our own wives have not yet uh, joined on this uh, train yet. So, uh, for Tom, which is me, signing oh. off. The thoughts and I'm Ben. Just have a good week. We'll talk to you the soon. Hosts and guests, and they do not represent the views of the organizations that employ them or they volunteer for.